from God's Word this morning um, from Luke 5, and we're starting a new um, series, and I don't know how long this is going to be. Um, I know there's going to be at least three weeks of it, and um, the series is called The Cross Before Me, The World Behind Me, and we're going to be looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how we're to be faced towards the cross, the cross before me and the world behind me. And this morning, we're going to be thinking about the cost of discipleship. And like I said, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 down to verse 11. So let's listen to God's word together this morning. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Amen. Amen. If I was to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? I wonder how you would respond to that question. If I was to ask you what it meant to be a Christian, I wonder how you would respond to that question. Would you say it's a box you ticks when you do a census? Or would you talk about stuff that you do, going to church, service, good deeds, whatever it is. See, that's, that's often how we answer that question. What does it mean to be a Christian? We talk about practical stuff that we do. But Scripture speaks of an inner transformation. It speaks about becoming a new creation. It speaks of this internal change about receiving a new heart, about abiding in Christ, about having communion with Jesus, about having our sins forgiven. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. It's as simple as that. And one of the ways we describe being a follower of Jesus in church language is the term being a disciple, or we talk about discipleship, about following Jesus. And over the next few weeks, I want us to spend time looking 
about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that mean? What does it actually look like? If we want to say that we are a church who truly follows Jesus, what does that mean? It means the cross before me, the world behind me. Many of you will know that where that, that line comes from, that praise song which we'll be singing at the end of our service this morning, and it's, it's inspired me for this um, new sermon series. Cross before me, the world behind me. And in repentance, there is a change in direction. It means that we stop facing the world and we start facing Jesus. We change in direction. It's a turning away from the things that we used to find pleasure in. The things of this world. And we turn our gaze to Jesus. It's a change in direction from hell to heaven. From sin to holiness. From self-centeredness towards God. And I want us to think this morning that where your eyes are focused on, your feet will soon follow. Where your eyes are focused on, your feet will soon follow. So let's get into Luke chapter 5 together just now. So Luke tells us that on one occasion... While the crowds were pressing in on him, him being Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And Luke, throughout his gospel, he wants to convey to his audience the people's desire, the desire that they had to hear the word of God. And I love, I love how they're hearing the word of God from the word of God. How they're hearing the word of God from the Logos, the very word of God. And we read here that they're pressing in on Jesus. What does pressing in mean? It means that they, you know, they're not complacent about this. This was a hunger that they had that was deep-rooted in them. A desire that they had to hear God's word. And I want to ask this question, do we have that desire? Do we have a desire to be pressing into Jesus, to be pushing into him, to be saying, do you know what? I'm leaving everything else and I'm going to follow after him. I need to be near him. I want to abide in him. I want to have communion with him. I want to know him. Maybe you've been watching from a distance this morning, it's time for you to start pressing into Jesus. You see, one of the reasons I fell in love with the city of Glasgow was the motto. That Glasgow flourished by the preaching of God's word and the praising of his name. If we truly want to see Glasgow flourish, And it's only going to be done by the preaching of God's word and the praising of his name. If we want to see Sandy Hills Parish Church flourish, it's only going to be done through the preaching of God's word and the praising of his name. And if we want to see the Church of Scotland flourish, it's only going to be done through the preaching of God's word and the praising of his name. Friends, we are a Bible-believing church church. 
we stand upon God's Word as our authority. And I, like many of you, will have been disheartened and disappointed at the Church of Scotland's decision to proceed to try and open up the door for ministers to be allowed to conduct same-sex marriages if they want to. Disappointed? Absolutely. Surprised? Sadly not. Friends, we are living in a day where there is a growing disregard for God's Word. And then even some people who would use the word to describe themselves as a Christian and they find themselves in positions of authority in our denomination, they do not believe in the authority of God's word. It is not their standard. Friends, that is how our denomination has ended up in the position we are in. It is why we are in such decline. It is why over 75% of congregations in the Church of Scotland aren't seen first-time professions. It's not because the gospel stopped working. It's because we've stopped proclaiming it. So many in our denomination have taken the word of God and have thrown it to the side. Thinking that it's outdated or it's harsh or it just sounds old-fashioned. Friends, God will not bless that which does not honor him. This is the word of God. And we stand upon it in this church. It is our authority. We let it speak into every area of our life. As difficult as that may be to sometimes hear, we want the word of God to permeate in this place and to penetrate our hearts. We press into Jesus and say, God, would you speak to us? And we know that you speak to us through your word. Your word doesn't change because you do not change. And as a church, we look to live out the word of God by the grace of God. We are living in a day that says there are many roads up the mountain. Or that we can just all do whatever we want and we'll eventually get to heaven, regardless of what we do or what we think. And friends, we as Sandy Hills Parish Church, we speak in complete contradiction of that. But so does the gospel. Because we say, because the Bible says, there is only one way and his name is Jesus. We are living in a time that says there is no such thing as absolute truth. That there's no meta-narrative. Just believe whatever you want to believe. And we speak directly against that and oppose that. Why? Because the Bible does. Because the Bible says there is an absolute truth. And his name is Jesus. He is the truth. And we live in a world that says, do you know what? Just live your best life. YOLO. You only live once. Do whatever you want that makes you happy. Do whatever it takes to make yourself live life to the full, regardless of who you have to stand over, regardless of what you have to do. And we say, because the Bible says, there is only one way to life. And there is only one way to have life. And his name is Jesus. 
Are we pressing into him? Are we pressing into Jesus? Or are we turning our back on him? Look at the hunger the crowd had. Why did they press into Jesus? It wasn't to see the miracles. That's, that's what I find astonishing. I think if, 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 if we had Jesus walking about our streets today, I think many of us would be wanting to go and see him because he performed some sort of miracle for us. He'd just been healing many earlier on in Luke chapter 4, but that's not why they press in. They're pressing in because they have a hunger to hear the word of God. As I said, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of speaking to some of the converts of the 1949 Lewis revival. And one of them told me that that is the sign when God is doing a work in your heart. You just have this incredible hunger for his word. You never used to have it. Your Bible might have been gathering dust, but then just comes this this itch within your heart that, that only reading God's word can satisfy So we see here they're pressing in on Jesus, not to see the miracles, but to hear the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How vital, how important is the Bible in your life? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then it should be very important. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. his kingdom lives out his kingdom values which are found in his word and jesus sees two boats by the lake and he sees these two fishermen and what do we read about these two fishermen well they're not in their boats what are they doing they're they're washing their nets they'd come out of the boats and they were washing their nets i find that a really interesting Um, addition in the information that Luke gives us in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel. Why is it interesting? Well, they hadn't caught anything. They hadn't caught anything. First of all, it shows us that they, they were done for the day. They toiled all night. They were tired. They were done. They were just washing in their nets and they were ready to go home. And we kind of see that later on, but we'll touch on that in a wee while. But like I said, they they hadn't caught anything. So what were they doing? They were preparing for the next catch. They were preparing for the next catch. They were prepared for the next catch. Are we? Are we ready for what God is going to do? Are our nets washed Are our hearts prepared? Are our hands clean, as Psalm 24 says? Is our church ready for an influx of people? If God was to move this evening in our community and people came to faith, which we pray they do, are we ready to disciple them, to nurture them? To walk with them, to do life with them, to share with them, to teach them, to show what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Are our nets washed? Are our nets prepared, Sandy Hills Parish Church? Are we ready? Are your hands clean? Is your heart pure? Then Jesus gets into the boat, which was Simon's, who we also... um, 
who's also called Peter later on in Luke chapter 6, and that's how we know him for the rest. He gets into Simon's boat and he asks him to put it out from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So basically, Jesus uses this boat as a pulpit. He sat down, and this is, this is the way that rabbis taught. They would sit down to teach. We see that in Luke 4 as well. And Jesus stands and reads the scroll in, in the synagogue. And then after reading it, he sits down. And the eyes were fixed on him. He sits down to teach them. And, and I love, we see something really important here, friends, in the mission of the church. Jesus doesn't go to the synagogue and send out an invite and telling everyone to come to the synagogue. I'm preaching there this Sunday at half past ten. No, he, he goes to where they are. That is who our Savior is. He meets people where they are. He meets us in our shame. He meets us in our guilt. He meets us in our sin. But he also meets us in our context where we are. He comes by the power of his Spirit and meets us where we are. And have we been doing this? Or are we sitting waiting for people to come? I think that's often what we do. We sit and wait for people to come and we, we put on a good church spread. We put on the best, best cakes and the best tea and coffee. And we just hope that people are going to turn up because we've got a really interesting speaker speaking that Sunday or whatever the event is. But friends, here we see something that Jesus, he's not sitting waiting in the synagogue for them to come, but he goes out to where they are. This is church without walls. And this, as I was preparing, gave me some encouragement this week. As the, the service goes out to where you are this morning because of COVID restrictions and guidelines. Jesus meets you exactly where you are. At your dining table, in your recliner, in your sitting room, or maybe even in your bed this morning. Jesus meets you where you are. And then Jesus instructs Simon to drop the nets. What does he say in verse 4? Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. For a catch. Not the, the possibility that we might catch something, but the certainty that comes through the word of God. The assurance that Jesus gives his disciples that blessed assurance that that, that that praise song says blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine that assurance that only comes from god's word which is truth not just the possibility of a catch but the assurances and what do we see here jesus instructs simon you see, to be a disciple means that we obey the word of the Lord. When he says go, we are to go. When he says let down your nets for a catch, we let down our nets. To be a follower of Jesus means to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Many of us are okay with Jesus being our savior, that Jesus can forgive us for our sins, but we struggle when Jesus then wants to be our Lord as well. Because then Jesus speaks into our life and speaks into how we are to conduct ourselves and the things that we're to do and to say. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't assert his lordship over Simon's weakest point? 
He doesn't say to Simon, what are you not very good at? Let me be Lord over that. But he asserts his lordship over Simon's strongest strength. This was a well-seasoned fisherman. This wasn't just a rookie like me who can't, you know, really do anything when it comes to fishing, but I like to try. He knew what he was doing. And Jesus asserts his lordship over his strongest strength. And Jesus is challenging him for a bolder practice of what he was already good at. Don't just trust me in your weakness. But give me your strength as well. Trust me with your strength. Let me be Lord over that gift that I have given you. And Jesus doesn't wait until Simon is feeling good about himself either, is he? I don't know if any of you enjoy fishing, but if, if you like going fishing, then you will know how disheartening it is to come home without a catch. What a waste of a day that was. I could have been washing the car, cleaning the garage, doing something more productive. It is so frustrating to spend hours fishing and catch hee-haw. And now that is something I'm experienced in. I know how frustrating it is. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Simon to have Jesus now say to him, after hours of fishing through the night, where they've caught nothing, right, it's time to go let our nets out for a catch in the deep. Simon tells Jesus, we've been fishing all night. Verse 5, we've toiled all night and took nothing. We've tried it. We've been fishing. We're exhausted. We're knackered, Jesus. We've toiled all night. And many of us finished there. Many of us stopped the sentence there. And he could have ended there, but he doesn't. As a disciple of Jesus, what does he do? He listens to the word of Jesus. But at your word, I will let down the nets. We hear two voices in this statement from Peter, or from Simon, sorry. Two voices. The first of a, a, a professional fisherman. We've, Jesus, we've fished all night. We're toiled, we've, we're, we've toiled, we're tired, we've tried it. But then a second voice appears here. The voice of a man who is a disciple of Jesus. But at your word. What is it Jesus is asking us to do, friends? Maybe many of us are saying, we've tried it, we're tired, we've done it. Fed up, can't do it. It's okay to feel like that. But don't stop there. I pray that we would have the boldness, the courage to be like Simon here. But at your word, Jesus, I will let down the nets. At your word. The voice of the world says, we've toiled, we've tried it. But the voice of the man of faith says, but at your word, Jesus, I'll do it. I'll let down the nets. I wonder who wins in your life. Which voice speaks loudest? Which voice do you respond to? I'm tired, Jesus, but you're worth it. I'm tired, Jesus, but I trust you. I'm tired, Jesus, 
but I'll obey you. I'm tired, Jesus, but I'll press in. I'm tired, Jesus, but do you know what? I know you have good plans for me. Which voice is louder in your life? As a disciple, it needs to be the one of faith. At your word, I will let down the net. And Simon responds by saying, Master. And this word is used for someone in authority. Used for many different people in authority. And it shows us that Simon recognizes something of the authority of Jesus. But probably not to the full extent as we'll see in verse 8 in a few moments. But we also see a rebuke here, don't we? In, in, in the humanity of Simon. Master, we, we toiled all night. And what he's basically saying is that we've tried it. We tried that once, Jesus. I wonder if you've ever heard that said in a church. Ah, oh, we've tried that. It didn't work. Oh, we used to do that, but you know, it didn't have anything going for it. I tried that once, didn't work. But here's the thing we see in this miracle. Timing is important. Not as Simon would think. Not about the 24-hour clock. When he says we've toiled all night. You see, by him saying night, what we have here is he was a professional fisherman, an expert. Catching fish at night time is the best time to do it. Because during the day, they could see the net in the daylight. That's not the timing we're speaking about here. But God's timing is crucial. It wasn't time for them to catch during the night. But it was now because Jesus said so. Simon may not fully understood why he needed to do this, but he obeyed a lesson we all need to learn. Even when we don't fully understand, we trust because God's word never fails. So often we let experience speak into our life louder than the authority of the word of God. But Simon doesn't do that, does he? If he did let that happen, he would have stopped and said, we toiled all night and took nothing. We've done it. We're not, we're not going back out today. We'll try again tomorrow. That's what experience would have led to. But he lets the authority of Jesus speak directly into the situation. That's the calling on the disciple. We don't let culture dictate. We don't let past experience dictate. We let Jesus' word transform our hearts and guide us on the path in righteousness. And what do we see happen here from obedience? And when they'd done this, verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. Look at the abundance of blessing that flowed from the obedience and trusting in God's perfect timing and in the word of Jesus. They catch a great multitude of fish. It's amazing. So much so that the boat started to sink and they needed to call out the other one. Remember the other one that Jesus saw in verse 1 of chapter 5 when he was looking at the boats. They had to call to the other one to come out and help them try and just save some of this fish from the catch that they had. What blessing flew from this. 
I was part of a conversation last week looking at some of the ways forward in the Church of Scotland and this godly old man said this statement that has been with me all week. He was talking about how the analysis that we're doing is the wrong one to do because we, we cannot fix anything in and of ourselves. And he asked this question, why is God not blessing what we are doing? Blessing flows from obedience to the word of God. However, it's not a simple maths equation. In this passage, we, we see the sovereignty of God being highlighted here. Even the sovereignty of God over creation. How he knew where the fish would be at that exact moment in time. How he orchestrated the fish to be there for the catch. This passage highlights the sovereignty of God. And faith is the key to unlock the sovereign promises of God. It, wasn't, it, it was God's sovereignty that produced this miracle. But Simon's faith allowed him to experience the miracle. It was God's sovereignty that produced this miracle, but it was Simon's faith that allowed him to experience the miracle. Faith is the key to unlock the sovereign promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And then look at Simon's reaction. Verse 8 he falls to his knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we see in verse 9 that this response comes from the, the incredible catch that they just had. And maybe we're surprised at his response. He falls directly and straight away to his knees. It made him turn his eyes to Jesus. He turns his eyes to Jesus. You see, miracles should always lead us to God. There is a danger of idolizing the miracle. There's a danger of worshiping the sign rather than the giver of that sign or the giver of that miracle, Yahweh himself. And Simon Peter doesn't worship the catch. He doesn't go, yeah, beauty. This is the biggest catch we've ever had. This is amazing. Think about all the money we can make from this. What does this catch do? It turns his gaze straight to Jesus. He could have worshipped this catch. It could have led him to think, I could build an extension to my house because of this catch. But like I said, friends, the beginning of our service where our eyes are your feet will follow what you focus your eyes on your feet will eventually follow if you are a christian if you're a follower of jesus this morning but you're starting to flirt with the world and you've turned your attention to the world then it won't be before time before you know what you'll be like the prodigal son. Because where your eyes are, your feet will soon follow. But if we focus our attention on Jesus as disciples of Jesus are meant to do, we end up doing what verse 11 says. We leave everything and follow him. Because he alone has our gaze. 
And Simon understands, and he begins to understand the holiness of the one who he, he is speaking to. You see, friends, the holiness of God makes man aware of his unworthiness. That's what we see in Simon's response. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When he says, depart from me, this isn't meant to be uh, taken literally. It's more like an idiomatic statement for something like, uh, what is someone as holy as you wanting with someone as sinful as me? And we see this shift, like I spoke on, where in verse 5, Simon responds to Jesus as master. But here in verse 8, because of what he's just experienced, and because it's brought his gaze to Jesus, he now shifts from Jesus being his master to Jesus being his Lord. Curious. We see this internal shift in Simon's heart. When we are in God's presence, friends, we are on holy ground. And don't be surprised if there's times where you press into Jesus and actually his Holy Spirit begins to convict your heart and put his finger upon something that actually doesn't find safety or we don't find within his word. You see, like I said, God's kingdom lives out as kingdom values, which we find within his word. May we never lose our understanding of the importance of conviction. Absolutely, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But God looks to convict us as he looks to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. And God's conviction is always quoted in his grace and in his mercy because it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. We need to know that the lives that we have lived have not been to God's standard. That's why Simon Peter responds by saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But in grace, he convicts us. And in grace and mercy, he has given us the way to forgiveness and salvation so that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is found by repentance and giving our lives to Jesus. And isn't it interesting to note how Simon related to Jesus? It led him to call him Lord. He wasn't sidetracked by the miracle but his eyes were focused on the one who performed the miracle. I've got two verses left, and we're going to keep on going this morning. It won't be too long. Then Jesus commissions Simon, James, and John, and he gives them this command. You're now going to catch men. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And I love how Jesus gives this command after the catch, not before it, but after the catch. What I could pos only possibly imagine was the biggest catch these men had ever experienced in their lives. Business was good. And that's when Jesus calls them. You're going to leave it and follow me. See, friends, it is costly to be a follower of Jesus. It is meant to be costly to follow him because we deny ourselves. 
We no longer look at ourselves, but our gaze and attention is focused on Him. And we need to shift from Jesus just being our master to Him being our Lord. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Discipleship is costly. Salvation is a free gift, I once heard, that costs us everything. You cannot keep living out your old life and just add Jesus in. He isn't an added on extra. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. He wants all of us. I read this week that you might believe in what Jesus has done for you. But discipleship is the result of his work within us. You might believe what he's done for you, but discipleship is the result of his work within us. And then just in closing, verse 11. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Complete obedience. They didn't take a couple of fish with them for the road. They left everything and followed him. Some of you were thinking, well, I can't imagine leaving that massive catch behind. But others of us who are following Jesus and, and who, who walk closely with him, we know that he is worth it. We know that he is worth it. And we view everything through what he has given us. Is Jesus worth your everything? If you truly know him, then he is. I read this quote that didn't have uh, uh, an author for it this week. It's an anonymous one. To believe is cheap and costs us nothing. But to follow Christ is costly. And he asks us first to consider the great cost of following him. Friends, those who are caught by Jesus are meant to catch for Jesus. Simon, who was caught in the grace of God, would go on and catch people in the power of God and for the glory of God. That is the calling on all disciples, and it is costly because we have to leave our nets behind us and we have to call out to God in repentance and live in obedience to Him, which is a delight. And as Psalm 1 says, sees us as that tree planted by those streams of water. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our concluding item of praise this